Wow, I am just the happiest nerd ever. Not only did Kenji make me that awesome video opening, but I found somebody to take our song Live Your Way and turn it into an 8-bit soundtrack type of thing. So this is absolutely perfect. I'm really thrilled. I even wore my Magic Healing Bravery shirt with the beer thing on it just to uh, just to celebrate. But welcome to this week's roundup. Um, uh, got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. And this Wednesday, so day after tomorrow is the meetup in Brooklyn, if anybody's in the area. Uh, my band's playing a bunch of other cool bands, and there's already a whole bunch of people confirmed that claim they're coming, so I hope it works out. I mean, I know how things like this are, right? If it starts to rain really bad, no one will show up, you know, that's life. But I really hope everybody that said they were coming really does. Uh, a couple of uh, guys from YouTube, a couple of retro gaming people, so uh, Cousin Scott's definitely going to be there, because I'll go to his house and drag his ass out if he doesn't, so... Uh, I really hope to see you guys there, but I guess let's just jump right into the news. First up, Darkshock just released an MSU audio patch for Mega Man 7 for the SNES. So for anybody that doesn't know, MSU audio is pretty much like a fake chip that was written by the person who wrote the Heigen vSNES emulators, and it allows for CD quality audio through Super Nintendos. So the only way to play it is through emulation or on the SD to SNES ROM cart, which is how I prefer to play it on real hardware. And he took one of the, um, I think like hard rock heavy metal soundtracks for Mega Man 7 and put them in the game. And it sounds awesome. I played through the first couple of levels and I absolutely loved it. I really love all of these MSU audio hacks. It just, um, it really enhances the game for me. So anybody that has an SD to SNES, I highly recommend trying it out. Um, I'll try to put the links in the description uh, so you can get the full patch to make it yourself, and it should be appearing in Smoke Monsters ROM pack any day now, if not already. So it's just uh, stay tuned for that. For anybody interested in SNES repros, there's a new website called RetroCircuits.com that just launched that sells a bunch of really cool ones. I'd actually worked with one of the developers in the past, and he'd made me a SNES test cart and I think a Star Fox 2 multi-cart. And I'd always bugged him, you know, you gotta launch a site for these, these are good quality. And I think he finally did it. Um, and it's kind of cool too, because these allow you to play games that you normally would not be able to play on real hardware, such as Star Fox 2, because it won't run on any of the ROM carts that are available now. You need an actual FX chip in there. So they launched things like Star Fox Multicarts that has Star Fox 1, 2 in the Competition Edition. They have ones that run at different speeds so you could overclock. And I think they even have a few of the Yoshi's Island ones that uh, they're fan hacks or things, which once again, um, you would really need the actual FX chip on there in order to run. So uh, I'm actually going to be getting the FX all-in-one cart as soon as it's available. And uh, hopefully they'll have an overclocked version of that too, just so I could mess with it. But I, I don't know if there's any other websites that do something like this, because I generally don't trust any of this stuff unless I've used it myself, which, I mean, that's probably not a great thing to say. I'm sure there's a lot of really awesome, high-quality modders out there, but we've all gotten the one on eBay filled with glue before, or at least anybody that's you know bought something used like that. So I really only like to talk about ones that I've personally used and opened up and I could vouch for the quality of it. And these guys are definitely it. So um, leave in the comments if you guys know anybody else, maybe it's closer to your region or something like that. But anybody that's uh, at least looking for the Star Fox carts, I totally will vouch for these guys because I've played mine a whole bunch of times and it works great. Someone recently figured out how to beat the original Legend of Zelda for the Famicom Disk System using a warp that goes straight to Princess Zelda at the end of the game. 
it's actually pretty cool, and I love stuff like this, but I love watching it on YouTube. I don't like trying it myself. I really don't have the patience to go through any of this stuff. But I do always enjoy watching the videos, so I just figure I would post it here and leave a link in the description for anybody that's interested. DB Electronics has just decided to open source one of their products, the PC Henshin, which is a PC Engine TurboGrafx-16 converter board. And I really like it when people do stuff like this. DB Electronics has a couple of really great products that they sell, including a few upcoming ones that I'm, uh, I'm going to be testing and uh, reviewing pretty soon, actually. But it's really great to, instead of see something just kind of fall to the wayside, why not just, you know, open source it and give it back to the community? So that's what they've done, and uh, the link's in the description for anybody that wants to use their design or, or make their own or, or if they just want to check it out. The upcoming game Mario Maker for the Nintendo 3DS has just announced that it's 2D only. They won't be allowing any 3D levels, which kind of makes sense to me because a lot of times um, if you put something together, the 3D just won't line up. But I guess a few people were really disappointed and surprised by that. So um, anybody that was interested, it's going to be out December 2nd for $40 uh, and no 3D, just 2D only, but pretty much be uh, almost as in-depth as the Wii U version. The creator of another Metroid 2 remake has just released the soundtrack as a free download on the website. I think anybody that's played the game will probably be downloading it, but I actually loved it. And I, although I do like video game music, I only like it while I'm playing. I don't usually listen to soundtracks like away from gaming, but I actually listen to this one a lot, especially the Hydro Station track. I love that one. That one's just like, I don't know, it reminds me of like just this awesome techno Metroid music. So I highly recommend that anybody listen to it that's uh, into the game. And this is just yet another way of keeping AM2R alive as long as we can, because it's a great game, great soundtrack, and I really just hope a ton of people uh, keep playing it and talking about it. There's actually been a lot of updates on the SMS Power Forum for Game Gear to Master System conversions. So just a very quick rundown for people that aren't aware. Game Gear and Master System are pretty much identical systems. The Game Gear had a start button, of course, which the Master System didn't, um, and it supported a lot more colors, but otherwise the hardware was pretty similar. As a result, a lot of the games are just identical on both consoles. So, like the Sonic games, the Master System and Game Gear versions are the exact same. So if you wanted to play them on a big TV, just play the Master System versions because you'll be able to see more of the screen size. But all the games that are Game Gear exclusives, you would either need a Game Gear TV output board, or some people have actually found ways to convert them into Master System games. And there's a lot of weird things that happen when you do that, because although the Game Gear renders the full screen, you know, it only shows a portion of it. So you'll have artifacts on the outside, and um, a lot of people will actually go in and kind of move all that around, move the different, um, like, the life bars and stuff to fit the full screen views. And usually what happens is somebody new to the scene will figure out how to do it. They'll convert a whole bunch and then kind of get bored with it, which, you know, no offense to them, it's totally normal. And then a few months later, somebody else will step up. Um, the newest person to step up is BCN Able 76 I'm not sure if that's Barcelona Able 76 from Barcelona. Sorry, man, I always get all the names wrong. But he stepped up to the plate and done a ton of good ones, including furthering the work on Mega Man, which is one of my favorite Game Gear games because it plays just like a really great Nintendo Mega Man title. 
So um, that one's been trickier uh, because of the way Mega Man was actually designed. So he actually did a whole write-up on the forums about why and what work he's done to change it. So I'll leave that up uh, in the description as well for anybody that wants to check it out. And also, Freezing Ice Kirby, another person who'd uh, been working on some of these, com uh, took the work that other people had done on Tales Adventure and just completely went on a whole other level. He redesigned some of the graphics, uh, some of the water. Um, when Tails goes underwater, it looks really cool. And it's just, I mean, it's a its a complete hack. So um, BCN Able 76, a lot of his are still work in progress, and it's great work, but the one from Freezing Ice Kirby, Tails Adventure, is, is pretty much done. It's awesome. And anybody that has a ROM cart that wants to play one of these games, um, it would work on a Genesis or a uh, Sega Master System. I really recommend downloading these patches and checking them out. I'm pretty sure the Smoke Monster ROM pack has all of them, but they're updated pretty frequently, so if not, you might want to just go directly to the SMS Power Hacks page and download the latest patch from there, and it's super, super easy to make. You just download uh, Lunar IPS, download the Game Gear ROM, rename it uh, Master System ROM, and run the patch, and that's it. So it's really it's much easier than a lot of the other patches you'd have to go through. But uh, great work from everybody that's doing it. I think anybody that plays these games really appreciates how much effort people like these guys have been putting into it, as well as all the people that kind of laid the groundwork for it, like Revo, uh, Chris Covell. Um, I'm forgetting everybody's names, but I'm sure anybody goes, that goes on the SMS Power Hacks page will see all the amazing work that people have done. So just keep them coming, because we keep playing them, so keep making them. Okay, now on to the Q&A stuff. YouTube user YEY, I think that's how you say it, asked about the quality of the Magic Wildcard, the Famicom Disk System ROM cart, and I realized I didn't show the comparison last week or talk about it at all, so I'm really sorry about that. But the um, the FDS stick, the thing that I did the review on, um, as bad as my webcam is, uh, you could probably tell that it looks like something that came from a factory. The plastic is exactly like most other devices, and it's pretty darn good. Um, the Magic Wild card, however, is very obviously 3D printed, but it looks worse than it is. So by, you know, holding it, you could tell it's 3D printed plastic, but it's solid. It's not brittle. It's not going to break. Um, and, you know, things like some of the lines don't line up. So I, I know a few people were complaining that for the price it should be better quality, but it really is just looks. And uh, unfortunately, my webcam isn't great, so it's probably looking... Oh, you can kind of see the contouring on it and everything, but... Um, for the most part, um, you know, for something that's made by people and not, you know, some big company, I would say that it's okay. It's just a 3D printed look, not a factory solid look. So, I mean, you can see, like, the side of the FDS stick versus this, um, the side of this. If I can get it to focus. Um, you know, you could easily tell which one was a, a 3D mold and which one was just a 3D print. But um, I still like it, and if you need SD cards... Um, this one has the micro SD that works perfect. You just uh, format it, FAT32, drop all the ROMs on, stick it in, and that's it. So it is way more expensive, but if you need to use a micro SD for whatever reason, that's the one to go with. And if not, the FDS stick still works absolutely awesome and holds almost all of the ROMs anyway, so that might be the cheaper and better way to go. 
Next up, there's been a lot of discussion in the comments the past few weeks about those light guns that can work with flat screen TVs, and it's generally mixed reviews. Some people like them, some people don't, some people say the build quality is way off, and a friend of mine actually has one, so I plan on doing a video of that in the next few months. So I'm going to do, obviously, setup and functionality, but if anybody has any other thoughts on what they'd want to see in the video, please leave that in the comments as well, and I'll try to do, you know, it's always a mix between trying to make the video as detailed as possible without being really freaking boring so let me know anything you guys want to see on that and uh, I'll try to get to that within the next few months. I had a lot of people contact me about Barcade, the bar with the arcade in it that Corey and I went to last week and people had some pretty bad stories about that place and while nobody directly did anything to us I definitely didn't feel welcome there at all from the moment we walked in to the moment we were recording to the you know 10 beers I ordered as the night went on definitely you know, didn't feel very wanted there. So they obviously have a crowd that they cater to, but a lot of people really emailed me with some horror stories about that place. And the worst one was actually my friend Phil, and I tried to get him on to tell his story on the podcast, but he's been swamped this weekend. So he will be at the meetup on Wednesday, so hopefully I'll get him on video telling that pretty crazy story, and I'll either stick it in next week's or something else. But yeah, it's pretty unfortunate because places like that would be a lot of fun for people to experience those things, especially adults that don't want to deal with, you know, yelling children or anything. You know, I love kids and everything, but it's just sometimes you just want to go have a beer and play a video game, but it's apparently not what that place is all about. So that's pretty sad. But uh, yeah, if you have any other horror stories, keep them coming because they seem to be pretty entertaining. And for the last Q&A... I received an email through the contact form on my webpage from someone that was pretty upset about my cartridge cleaning page. So I've received emails like this before and I keep trying to update the page to make it clearer, but I guess it's still not clear enough. So I figured I would go through that really quickly and then maybe get you guys feedback. But basically, whenever I get a used cartridge game, the first thing I do is take a Q-tip, dip it in a little bit of rubbing alcohol, and clean off the contacts. Even if the contacts already look clean, I still do this anyway, just in case whoever I bought it from used a cleaning method that left a residue, so I could just make sure it's totally clean before putting it into my console. After I do that, then I always see what step two is. If the car uh, cartridge contact pins still look dirty, or if they look clean but I put it in the console and something's up, it glitches, it doesn't start right, then I'll open up the cartridge um, and use a pink pencil eraser. I try not to use the ones on an actual pencil because I don't want the metal to hit it by accident, so I just use one of these. And this is a trick I learned out in a manufacturing facility in Asia, so um, we use this on ram sticks every now and then as well. And this is totally safe to do. And then afterwards, I do rubbing alcohol one more time just to get all the little, you know, pencil eraser shards off of it. And then I try again. Once again, if it works great, beautiful, but if it either still glitches out or if the contacts still look dirty, there is one more thing you could do that I've had to do to a bunch of carts that were not working in my console, and that's where you could use metal polish. But using metal polish will actually take off a microscopic layer of the metal as well as some of the coating. So if you used it a lot, you could completely ruin the cartridge. It would take a lot in order to do that, I mean, you'd have to clean it every day for years, but you could still potentially damage it. But the thing that I keep trying to convey to people is I had cartridges that would not work. I used Brasso, the brand of metal cleaner that I just happened to buy, and then after using it, of course, once again with the pencil eraser and the rubbing alcohol just to make sure to clean it all off, and now they work fine. So 
yeah, that does have the potential of damaging cartridges. But if, I mean, I had a copy of Mortal Kombat for Super Nintendo that just did not work. I did this, and it works. So I don't really know what to tell anybody else. I mean, I thought I was pretty clear about that on the page, and I rewrote it once again to try to be even more clear that I tell people to only use it when they need to. But it's a great solution if you have a cartridge that doesn't work. I mean, what's the other solution? Just not using the cartridge? Especially if it's something rare that you paid a bunch of money for. So please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always open to criticism, but I am, as of now, still 100% standing by the fact that if you try an eraser and alcohol and it doesn't work, that using uh, Brasso or any kind of metal polish, sparingly and only once, is a good solution. Um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, just please let me know and uh, take a look at the page if you have time. And also, just um, to let anybody know, the guy used a for guy or girl used uh, the contact form, and he used the uh, the email address doesn't matter at juststopthebrassomadness.com. And you know, I take criticism really well, and anybody that's emailed me about stuff knows that I always do, and I appreciate people's feedback. So it just uh, it kind of annoyed me that I got kind of a nasty email from somebody that didn't even have the guts to leave their real email address. So, uh, you know, if you're watching, just email me next time. Like, I'm not going to yell at you <laughs> or anything, and I'll listen to you. And if you think a guide isn't written, you or anybody thinks a guide isn't written properly, please let me know. I mean, that Skips, one of the guys on the forum, did that to me a few years ago. And anybody that's ever interacted with Skips knows he's not very friendly. He uh, He's kind of mean, actually. But his email was spot-on correct. And I, it, it really took, you know, his email of kind of being mean for me to realize, oh, crap, I, I did actually make a mistake. And at the end of the day, I really appreciated it. So don't be mean unless you have to. But uh, any criticism, I always appreciate, whether it's about these roundups, any page on the website. Because at the end of the day, I really just want to have the best source of information for everybody. I don't really care if I'm right or wrong, as long as the end result is it's the right thing to do. So, um, as always, please leave any of your feedback on what you think about the page, the cleaning methods, the eraser, the brasso, whatever. So, um, thank you very much uh, for pointing that out, but yeah, well, I hope to hear everybody's comments. Okay, next up I have an interview with the owner of a few game stores named Chris. And I know you might wonder, well, why is he interviewing a game store owner? Don't they just own a store? But Chris is the opposite of that. He is a huge member of the retro gaming community around here. Um, he holds a lot of events, and he's really just uh, hes a, just a cool dude. So um, he's been helping me since I started the site, and I really wanted to get him on here just uh, to talk about some of the things he's been working on that I think a lot of us might be interested in, and to just show off a bunch of cool stuff. So... Um, You'll see the interview with him, and then uh, I will see you guys next week. And hopefully I'll see a bunch of the, uh, anybody that lives in the New York area on Wednesday at the show. So uh, I guess I'll take care and see you guys then. Hey guys, I'm here with Chris from Retro Games Plus, the owner of three stores now? Yes. Yep, all across Connecticut. So you got Norwalk, we're in the orange store in front of the Super Nintendo and Nintendo section, uh, and then Newington as well, yeah. right? Yes. Um, that's I've only been to that one once or twice, but that's right on the Berlin Turnpike. So anybody that's from Connecticut knows it's pretty much right in the middle and easy to get to. And anybody that's not from Connecticut has no clue what that is. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. So when I first started the website, when I was probably 
I think it was still a Google Doc at that point. I, re I met you at the when it was in Westport, the Norwalk store. I uh, told you what I was doing, and you helped out a lot. You found me a bunch of consoles I needed, and really jump started the site for me. And your stores have grown a lot since then as well. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of sit down and pick your brain and how you got started and talk about all the other things you've been involved with in the past few years as well. So, sure. Awesome. So how'd you get started with all this stuff? So I got, well, I really got started probably when I was like five years old. <laughs> but I had to go all the way back. Mm -hmm. um, and I got my, I'm 35, so I got my first Nintendo when I was five. Uh, so it pretty much started probably then when my dad bought it. I can uh, actually vividly remember playing Mario and, and opening and getting a Nintendo for Christmas. <laughs> um, so video games have always been a part of my life. I spent a good portion of my childhood playing them. Uh, I never realized I was that into them. I mean, it obviously you go to high school and you go to college. And I mean, I was a collector and stuff. Uh, and I always played video games my whole life. But it was never really, I would say, like a dream of mine to own video game stores. Um, I, I went to college, I did other things, and then at some point I said, you know, I, I'm just sick of corporate life. I was suit and tie, I was just tired of it. And I still had a big NES collection, and I was into video games, uh, but um, I was actually married at this point, so about six, seven years, seven years ago now, um, I was living out in Las Vegas, and I started going up to a flea market that they had there, which was a massive flea market, probably one of the biggest I've ever been in the country couple hundred vendors easily and um, this was before kind of at the honestly this is probably eight nine years ago so it was kind of even at the infancy of eBay and um, I was not a big seller on eBay or anything like that but I started going up there and I found believe it or not the first game uh, was a bubble uh, bottle tube <laughs> just laying there I bought it for four dollars it wasn't a huge demand that I thought of for NES games I brought it actually to play it I brought it home had a Nintendo I played it and um, after a while, I just said, well, let me go online and maybe I'll get rid of this game. And so it was like a $200 game. And um, ended up selling that game. And kind of, my wife was pregnant at the time. And so I was at home a lot. And I just, between the job, corporate life, I was going up to this flea market buying games. And um, I found a little Samson there, Donkey Kong Jr. Math, Bubble Bobble 2. Nobody was really hunting for games at this point. And it mm -hmm. just kind of, before I knew it, my garage had become a, uh, an online selling machine I was I had racks and games and I was selling uh, on Amazon and eBay and I at some point was making enough money that I said maybe I can do this as a full-time business and quit my corporate suit and tie get out of that completely and I put together a business plan had some money saved up moved back to Connecticut and opened that first store in Westport uh, probably about uh, I think six years ago and uh, kind of the rest is history. It's kind of just grown from there. So, how did you uh, how did you get the inventory for that first store? Was that a lot of your collection, or did you just kind of hunt down cheap games places? I, uh, you know what, that's a good question. So, you couldn't do this in a lot of cities. Uh, what was in interesting and unique about Las Vegas was that in the, I would I want to say Las Vegas is probably eighty miles across, and um, it's just a big bowl. You're surrounded by mountains, and outside of that, four hours, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. But within that area, in the nature of that city, Las Vegas, uh, there must have been 50 to 60 pawn shops that were in that radius. Mm -hmm. um, so they were easy pawns and super pawns. And these are big national chains. So it's not like a little guy uh, that owns Joe Schmo's pawn shop that's trying to maximize every dollar. These companies were just trying to push out inventory. And because it was Las Vegas, I assume a lot of people were there, needed money, 
gambling addictions or whatever. <laughs> so they, they, I would go into these pawn shops and I would say, hey, you know, uh, I would be in suit and tie actually. <laughs> and I would go in there on my like lunch breaks and stuff. And I would have a route marked out in Las Vegas of probably 50 pawn shops that I would hit up on a weekly basis. Every day, maybe two or three. And I would walk in and I would introduce myself to the manager and I'd say, hey, I'm a buyer of video games. Can I look at what video games you have? And they would go, yeah, by all means, yes, please. And they would literally take carts of, uh, on a cart with banker's boxes, PS2, PS1, Nintendo, just roll them out. And it was a wholesale deal where I would go and basically just buy, I would say, okay, I would take stacks and go, how much for these? And they would just go two bucks a piece. And it was whatever. Uh, I mean, whatever games were in there. Um, So I would come home every day with literally bags full of games <laughs> that I would bring into the, my my garage and it, it grew and grew and grew. If it weren't for those pawn shops and the flea market, there was mm-hmm. a big flea market, uh, but more than anything, it was those pawn shops that I was able to get. That's awesome. Those games. Yeah. Huh. So then you just loaded it all up in a truck and drove them all up here? I, I took like a, uh, I want to say a 24 foot truck <laughs> full of games and drove them back here. Yeah. All boxed, all cataloged, inventory. How nerve wracking is that drive? I was nervous. My and I, I give my wife a lot of credit because I, when I, and and family and everybody, when I said oh, I'm getting out of, I was in commercial real estate, I said I'm quitting this, and they're like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to open a video game store. And people were like, Jeez. what? Like it was just uh, in their minds and in mine too. Um, it made sense to me, but to a lot of other people, and my wife was okay with it. But it just uh, it was a complete 180, uh, corporate real estate to video game store yeah but so that ride back was yeah I mean it was nerve-wracking like is this gonna work this is crazy and a lot of people told me I was crazy what are you doing yeah well the other aspect is you're driving your inventory you know yes Yes. I remember I had to move when I I lived in Milford I moved down to Stamford and it was everything I own in one YouTube or one U-Haul and you know rare guitars all my video game collections my server for you know everything I just remember driving going man this is should I be selling my house? And what the hell happens if this truck rolls over? Everything, <laughs> yeah. everything important to me will just be gone. So right. it was both. Yeah, it's a nerve-wracking drive. Well, I had to drive in traffic, sat in traffic for three hours down to Stanford. You had to spend what three days in a car? Yeah, three days. This oh. is a two thousand mile trip. So yeah, a little uh, different. <laughs> yeah, and then I came back and I started up the you know put put the business plan into effect and it actually worked. Uh, so. The timing was right, too, because it's just, you know, if you had tried that two or three years earlier, people probably would have said, oh, I don't want to play old video games. And now that was just about when the retro video game craze started to come back in. So It was perfect. Yeah, you're right. And if it was a two, three years later, I did actually make a trip out to Las Vegas probably about three years ago. I was like, oh, you know what? Let me go out there and I'll buy some more inventory. Went around all these pawn shops that I've been at. And I walked in, I said, uh, can I can I buy, uh, I used to have a relationship, might have been a different manager. I said, can I you know, buy some of the games? They said, we don't have any games. I said, what do you mean? They said, no, we contract through, I think some guy to Kentucky had, um, I think Game King or somebody. Uh, they had now, they realized the value of these games in the retro market and had built up contracts with other people and were just shipping the games out now. Jeez. So I did hit it right at the right time. Yeah. 
Yeah, timing's everything for a lot. We were just talking last week about how somebody designed a light gun that could work on flat screen TVs. Oh, yeah? But it came out about at a time where most people still had at least one CRT in their house. Right. So you want to play that game, you just, you know, hook it up to your bedroom TV. So they went out of business. Yeah. But they came back out now, now with that same exact product. Everybody that had an old game console would buy one. Right. So it's kind of funny how just timing is everything. It's, it so, is. Yeah. It is a lot of cases. Yes. Jeez. So with the three stores now, you sell everything from video games to DVDs to plush Mega Man, which I'm definitely going to buy that one before I leave. <laughs> and, um, but you've also done a lot of work both on the expo and with the meetups. So I guess uh, I'll start with the meetups because it's a little easier to talk about. So okay. that's, um, that's something where about every couple, maybe three months or so, you have uh, like a spot meet at your stores? Yeah. I, I don't know how many we've done now. Um, we've been probably doing it five years, I want mm -hmm. to say. Uh, it's called Congo, Connecticut Gamers Organization, and it is essentially that. Uh, it's just a swap meet in the stores where people um, from all over Connecticut, other areas come and trade games amongst themselves. Um, and it's grown. Uh, we probably get on average 75 to 100 people that come. Uh, it's yeah. a free event. People just come into the store, they trade. Yeah, I was at your last one in Norwalk, and that was the thing that I thought was really cool, is you just moved your racks over, and you'd still sell anything if anybody wanted to buy it, but you just it's free, you don't have to pay it again, you let people just go and sell their stuff. So that alone was cool, but the people that I met there were just, they literally just wanted to buy and trade other stuff. Yeah. So no one was there to price gouge. Somebody sold me a, a mint condition Nomad for 80 bucks, so it was just, you know, really nice dude. Yeah. It was very cool, it was very laid back. Everybody was just kind of, you know, like the weird camaraderie of it all, you know, yeah. we were all just wanted to do it. But so you have those at your stores every couple of months, I guess. And then, yes. Um, and the reason for, some people ask why do that, you know, why bring, let people come in and sell amongst themselves. But it really was just, and is just for community. Um, you just kind of become friendly with all those people. And they were all customers of the store and it just made sense to provide a platform for that. Uh, we have one coming up in October, which is pretty fun. It's our Halloween. <laughs> one where uh, people actually cosplay in costume. We do a costume contest. I think we gave away an Earthbound last year. That is awesome. Yeah. So I got a problem. Was that going to be in this store? Uh, right it'll be in this store. Yeah. 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 So that'll be our third annual Halloween costume one. So. Gotcha. And then now you work on the Retro Gaming Expo in Connecticut as well, right? Yes. So what's your role in that? How did you get started with that? I mean, where did that kind of come from? So uh, this will be our second annual one. Uh, it's called Retro World Expo. Um, we host it in Wallingford, Connecticut. Uh, it's in about a 30, 30, 35,000 square foot venue. Yeah. We have about 100 exhibitors, bands, um, panelists, guests, YouTube guests. Yeah, it was huge and the quality was good. I was there, I did the panel with HD Retrovision there last year. Uh, and the panels were off to the side, quiet, so you could actually hear what people were talking about. And then in the, the middle area was all uh, people set up shop to sell games and stuff like that, found a bunch of really awesome things. And then even separately from that, in another area, you had the whole arcade set up. So that was really cool. Thanks. Um, so it started, uh, something I wanted to do probably for five years ago. Um, I think I went to MAGFest, I want to say four or five years ago, and just had an awesome time. Mm -hmm. MAGFest in Washington, D.C. And um, I, there wasn't much up this way for Gaming Fest. It was PAX East. Boston, right? Boston. Yep. And That's pretty much it. That was pretty much it. Uh, what's happened in like the last few years is there's, we were just doing a count, and I want to say there's like nine video game retro gaming conventions now in the area 
there's Long Island Retro Gaming Expo. There's Aus Retro World Expo in Connecticut. The Long Island one just happened a few weeks ago, I think, too, right? It did, yeah. I wasn't able to make it, but I was talking. I didn't hear any press about that at all until after it happened. I don't know if I was just out of the loop or if uh, they didn't do a great job um, advertising that one. Uh, I don't know. I met Leroy, one of the guys that runs it, just mm -hmm. this past week. Um, but uh, one of our guys, Dan, uh, went down to that, mm -hmm. and uh, he said that he said it was a good expo, actually. It was a great expo. We just got back from a video game con, which is down in New Jersey. Um, there's obviously uh, Too Many Games, which is in Pennsylvania. Uh, there's Retro Game Con now up in Syracuse, New York. Um, and there's a few others scattered around. There's a couple other New Jersey ones. Altogether, we counted nine. Wow. Uh, including now PAX East and MAGFest, which are probably the two biggest. Um, but be, it's kind of interesting how all these small little retro gaming cons have started uh, within the past two to three years. Um, and we've all got pretty good, decent attendance. I wouldn't really call yours small, though. That was not, uh, that was by no means a small thing. No, it wasn't. And we'll probably get more this year. I, I, we had about 2,500 people come last year. Mm -hmm. uh, our goal is maybe 3,000 this year, maybe more, depending. Uh, I think we're going to put on a pretty good show this year. And it's across two days this year, not just one? Two days. So Saturday, Sunday, the 15th and 16th, right? Yes. Okay, get that right. <laughs> yes, and we've definitely um, outgrown this uh, venue. Um, mm -hmm. We, it, it's tough to squeeze everything we want to do there. Uh, but we're going to do it one more year here and then probably find another venue that's a little bit bigger. Um, but uh, that's the goal is to keep growing it. Uh, we have a fun time doing it. It's a ton of planning. Uh, it's a year-long <laughs> thing. Uh, there's myself and three other guys. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it was originally kind of my idea, but I brought in a couple other guys, the really um, close friends, and uh, that thought could have added some value. Um, one of the guys is the owners of uh, Retroware TV. Mm -hmm. um, another guy's close-knit with RF Generation. Uh, another guy was really just a good friend of the community here in Connecticut. Um, so the four of us uh, kind of all came together and kind of each add a different element to it. Um, but the uh, the linking with Retroware has definitely helped. We have like Pat the NES Punk there, Gaming Historian, Norm, Game Chasers come up from Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was my buddy Lance Cortez, and he had had that connection with those guys. Gotcha. Uh, so that was a good element. Um, but it is a, we talk about it every day, it's planning. We have meetings every week. Uh, it's just a, a, so much work to put that thing together. But it's fun. I, I love doing it. So I want to keep growing it. It's it's funny because sometimes you just work so hard on something, and if it's fun, it just you know it doesn't even feel like work. You're exhausted by the time you're done with it, but it's, yes, you know, it's enjoyable. So you know you know it's not like you had to put on that suit and tie and fake it through a meeting. <laughs> I, ne I never wake up and go, oh man, I got to work again. Whereas I used to. That was I'm so glad to be out of it. I mean, not going to work every day, I wouldn't change what I have for the world now. I mean, I could have made more money doing what I was doing in corporate, yes, but the freedom and just the what I do now and the people I deal with is so much more life uh, enjoying than, than doing what I did before. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's nice. I feel yeah. blessed. I know. I know the feeling. I had. Um, you know, I, I actually had my dream job. I got to travel around the world and I was on the design team for computers. Yeah. And when that ended, I had a choice of just going back to you know, IT something IT related. Or I just took a job working from home that, you know, I, I kind of as a joke sent a text to my buddy like, hey, we all got laid off. You guys need a hardware guy? Yeah. And his boss calls me like five minutes later like, yeah, come to my house and let's do this. And 
So it's not exactly the most exciting job, but the website would have never existed if I had another nine to five. There's no way I, I would be able to put the hours in. So I don't exactly have an exciting job anymore, but now I get to do this, which I do enjoy very, very much. So it's kind of cool how everything falls into place. Yeah, and how's your website been? How's that going? Um, you know, it's steadily growing. I think I'm getting over 2,000 hits a day on it on average, but yeah. the YouTube thing, I didn't really realize there was a need for that on YouTube because you had the guys in my life in gaming who just, their videos are top notch. I could never come up you know, with anything as good as those. Right. And you get the guys like Phone Dork who put out a hilarious, great video a couple times a year. So I didn't think there was a need for me to do it. And then I was a guest on one of the My Life in Gaming live streams and I get drunk on the while we were playing games and said, hey, I'm gonna start a podcast. I'll air mine tomorrow. Nice. I woke up the next day and went, well, shit, now I actually gotta do this. <laughs> so so that's, that was, you know, 20 weeks ago. I think this is gonna be number 20 and uh, it's it's been huge. I think I went from like 100 followers on YouTube to over 1,200 now or something nice. like that. So it's, you know, it's pretty good. I hope if uh, people keep watching, I'll keep making them, but. Um, well, cause I remember when you came into my store years ago and you first started telling me about retro RGB and I, I was a huge fan and I was doing whatever I could to help you out with getting you the, I think you were looking for the Serpent model as Super NESs. Yeah, that's still the big thing. That's still the big thing is trying to find the one chip Super Nintendos. It's yeah. hard. You I know? think you found a couple at the store. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 You guys were always cool. One of them, you know, I think you had a new guy there one time I was like, Hey, you mind if I just pick through these? And he kind of looks, the other guy goes, no, that's Bob. You just does that leave him alone he's fine he'll look through all of them so and, yeah and i never realized how big that rgb uh, market enthusiasts were until you introduced it to me I and mean, i was always a video game player but I, when you first told me that i was like what are you talking about this rgb yeah and you said you were spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on it but uh, now i can understand it a lot more yeah the quality difference is not something that i ever realized until i started doing it because if you're using a consumer grade crt you'll get a good difference but it's you know, S-Video is probably just the easiest, but once you actually get some of these old production monitors, like I spent 500 bucks on a 32-inch monitor last summer that when it was new, sold for $28,000. Wow. So when you get to that high quality of a display, you start to notice all the differences. And that's yeah. when you start, you know, you get the right model SNES, you mod it with the correct mod, and you plug it into that versus just a regular one. You, It's a massive difference in right. quality. And then obviously through upscalers on flat screens. but. Yep. So. Well, it's great you come to our uh, show, too, and do the panel, which is nice. Yeah, I love it. That's actually how I met the guys from HD Retrovision, was uh, you and Lance put me on the panel with them, and they're they're like friends now. Right. So it's funny. It's At first, I was like, oh, I'm not really sure if I want to do it. You know, I don't really know these guys, and they're both awesome, and now we're, you know, I nice. still email Steve all the time. He's a he's a crazy nerd like me, although he's way smarter. Some of his, <laughs> some of his designs are amazing, so it's, uh, I wish... I wish they make enough money so they could both quit their day jobs and make that their focus because they yeah. could come up with some crazy, crazy shit for retro gamers. So, nice. uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that's pretty much everything. Anything else you want to talk about or promote? I'm just uh, I'm excited to finally come here and pick your brain and get you on camera. You know? um, no, th thank you. I appreciate it. Um, that's that's pretty much the two main things I got in the works. Just the stores, the retro gaming market still seems to be strong. Um, I've gotten back into collecting myself buying Nintendo games. Uh, so I'm like, why did I ever sell those, you know, Power Blade 2? Yeah. They really come in the store and some of those higher priced games, but uh, everything still seems to be going and what demand seems good. So Anything you're looking for? Any games that you've been hunting down forever that you can't find? Um, I just got Google Patrol the other day, which I kind of wanted for a while on Super Nintendo. Um, I just got Gargoyles Quest 2. <laughs> boxed. I got that at a video game con. I wanted that one for a while. 
uh, but really just the premier stuff, um, like a Bonx, some of the higher end NES stuff. Bonx Adventure I would be looking for, um, uh, maybe a peekaboo poker, panic restaurant, some of those high end ones. I have most of those, but there's a few gaps that I need to fill in there. So, yeah. The thing for me that I wanted forever was a good quality repro of Star Fox 2. Yeah. And I finally got that. Um, that I don't know if his website's up, but a buddy of mine, Mark, had made a few of them, and I bought one, and it was... I mean, the game itself was neat, but it's it was just so cool to actually finally play it on real hardware, because yeah. I don't... I never really liked... I mean, I liked the idea of emulation. It's neat, you know. It's neat if I'm in line at the supermarket to whip out my iPhone and play Super Mario Brothers. But right. I, I wanted on real hardware, and that was the thing that I was dying to play for a while. And it, it was cool. It lived up to the hype. Nice. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, my other thing I've been getting into just lastly is uh, with the expo. My new hobby is really pinball machines. That oh yeah. I'm doing which is not. It's a very expensive hobby. Yes, it is. Um, but uh, I just recently bought a Black Knight 2000, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Freddy pinball machine, and I I'm working on a Whirlwind pinball machine now, too. So um, I've kind of gone from the console gaming into this avenue, which is probably the most expensive hobby, video gaming hobby there is. Yeah. But I love it, and I love pinball, and we've added actually a lot more pinball for this year's uh, Retro World Expo. So. so do you own all those arcade machines that are in the expo, or that? I um, own with Lance about. 40 to 45 machines. Oh, wow. And where are those? Are those at a uh, place so, uh, now? We have a warehouse um, that we work on machines once a week, once, twice a week. Uh, we go in and change monitors. I'm working on the Whirlwind right now, fixing little things, um, working on the Black Knight. But we uh, we go in, and that's a whole other thing. We've actually set that up as like a little arcade, and sometimes we do arcade nights and have people in there and just play and stuff like that. So That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Is that here in Milford? It is. It's probably uh, five minutes down the road from here. Want to go take a look at that? Yeah, sure. All right, we'll bring you guys with us. Hold on. Right. So the warehouse is basically just filled with awesome arcade machines, ranging from rare to the more popular ones. And I kind of caught them in the middle of a few projects, so excuse kind of the ones in the middle. But basically just imagine a, a tight arcade with a bunch of awesome games in it. He also has a couple of cool pinball machines, as well as like Afterburner Arcade with all the controls that shake. And I love stuff like that, because you could never recreate that experience without playing on the original. One thing that's definitely freaky though is the audio from the Nightmare on Elm Street pinball machine. That's something you really gotta hear to believe, and that would have probably given me nightmares if I was a little kid playing it. Here, see for yourself. Ready? Oh. Ready? 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 